Yes, Lord, our hearts respond this morning. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the Lion of Judah. Worthy is the King who sits on the throne. God, we, we join with the angels this morning who sing holy, holy, holy. And God, our desire today, our desire is simply for what's going on in heaven and what's going on here on the earth for that gap to close and for us to experience, Lord, Your presence, Your goodness, Your grace, Your love. And God, for us to have our hearts captured in worship for Jesus. Lord, we see that the world is broken, but we also see the light breaking through in, in Jesus Christ. And so we long this morning to fix our eyes on Him. We ask that You would give us the grace to see. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord, to see the beauty of Your Son, the truth of Your Word, the power of Your Spirit, and the glory that, that only belongs to You. God, we humble ourselves before You now. We bow before Your Word and ask that You speak to us and meet with us. In Jesus' name we pray and worship. Amen. You may be seated. Um, as you take your seat, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of 2 Peter, where we've been working uh, for a few months now, 2 Peter. And we're going to be in chapter 2 today, pick up where we left off last week, and go from verses 12 to verse 22 to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> this is 2 Peter 2. 12 to 22, I invite you to follow along either in your Bible or on the screen. It says, But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if... After having escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, 
returns to wallow in the mire. This is the word of the Lord. Peter, the Apostle Peter, who wrote this letter, was a faithful shepherd. And we learned in chapter 1 that he was coming to the end of his life. And so because he was a faithful shepherd and because he was coming to the end of his life, he got really serious with these people. And the deathly serious message that Peter wanted to, to, to deliver could be summarized like this. The way of the world, rather than leading to life and satisfaction, only leads to destruction and emptiness. And in the background, his secondary concern is this, that many times the way of the world infiltrates the church. So what is Peter's plan to guard us from falling in love with the world and being enticed to our ruin? What we're going to see this morning is that Peter is going to, in a sense, wipe the lipstick off of the pig for us. He's going to show us the true reality of the destruction that comes with the way of the world. Uh, When Allie and I lived in Raleigh, uh, we bought our first home there, and so we went through the home buying process. And um, after, look, after looking at a number of homes, we saw this one house that popped up and just thought, man, like this is a nice house. And so we drove in, and uh, this house was bigger than the other ones we had looked at. It was nicer than the other ones we had looked at. It was in a nicer neighborhood than the other ones we had looked at. Uh, we went through the door with our realtor, and I mean, our hearts just swelled, you know. I mean, this just seemed like it was it. How could it not be? And then we went outside around back, and next thing I know, our our realtor lady, she gets down on her hands and knees, and she she goes crawling under this house, and uh, she, she comes back out, and she said, you need to see this. Right on the outside, this was a beautiful house. You know, it was a wonderful backyard. It was a wonderful, beautiful, immaculate front yard. It was all that we could ever have dreamed of in the better neighborhood than we could have afforded. But this house had a cracked foundation. The way of the world is alluring. It is enticing. It seems to offer us advantages. It paints a vision of life that seems to make all our dreams come true. But thankfully, Jesus loves us enough to meet us here today through His Word and to rip off the facade, to wipe the lipstick off the pig, to show us that the underbelly of the way of the world is nothing but death and destruction and dissatisfaction. The reason that this passage is in the Bible is because God knows, God knows how much, how easily you and I are tricked. And God desires that you and I would be able to see the truth behind the lies of this world. And so, today we're going to be looking at um, the way of the world. I think before we dive into the actual passage and work through the text, 
We, we should just ask this question, what exactly is the way of the world? What exactly is the way of the world? And I just want to give you a, a simple, brief definition. The way of the world is the pattern of life that runs contrary to God's design. The way of the world is the pattern of life that runs contrary to God's design. And here's a few things we need to get straight from the beginning. The way of the world transcends every culture. So you will find the way of the world in men and in women. You will find the way of the world in Republicans and Democrats. You will find the way of the world in Asia and in Africa. You will find the way of the world anywhere and everywhere you go. Because it's not confined to one group. Um, here's another thing about the way of the world. You and I are both simultaneously victims and we are responsible. What do I mean by that? I mean that all day long, you and I are tempted, we are pressured, we are enticed. And so in that sense, we are a victim. But in another sense, we have to stop and ask this question. How did the pattern get there in the first place? How did this pattern that runs contrary to God's design, how was it formed? And every one of us has to raise our hand and say, in part, I was responsible for creating this monster. That every time I sinned, every time I turned away from God, every time I did what I thought was wise in my own eyes, rather than what's wise according to God's word, I carved the rut deeper and deeper and deeper into the pattern of the way of this world. And then a final thought this morning before we actually dive into the text, and I think probably the most important thing that you need to know, that I need to know this morning, is that Jesus died to save us from the way of the world. In Galatians 1, verses 3 and 4, Paul actually opens up his letter to the Galatians this way. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. When Jesus, our Savior, laid down his life, one of the things that he had in mind in laying down his life was to rescue us from the pattern of life that runs contrary to God's design. And so Peter this morning, he wants you and I to become disgusted with the way of the world, to despise the way of the world. Why? Because Jesus died to save us from it. And so here we go. Seven reasons that we ought to resist the way of the world. Seven reasons that we ought to repent of the ways in which we've been conformed to the way of the world. The first is this, the way the world operates out of ignorance. The way the world operates out of ignorance. We'll dive into verse 12. It says, but these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant. Uh, as you're going to see throughout this passage, Peter's going to use a number of vivid images to try to grab our attention. And this first image that he wants us to see is that if you want to understand how the way the world operates, simply look at animals. Simply look at the wild animals. Um, why does, for example, why does an animal trap work? Right? When a mouse comes up to this piece of cheese, that mouse does not have the rationality to stop and pause and think, hmm, 
This piece of cheese in this dark corner wasn't here yesterday. I wonder how it got here. And then it doesn't have the rationality to think, that little metal thing right there, there if it whops me, it's probably going to kill me. And so following its instincts, it just runs right in and grabs the cheese and whap. And Peter is saying that is what it's like when you and I are conformed to the pattern of this world. We are not making rational decisions. We are simply following our cravings. We're following our instincts rather than following God's intellect. Um, Here's a few situations when I think you and I are tempted to follow our instinct, but at that moment, we have to stop and we have to pause and we have to sift our feelings, sift our cravings with God's truth. Uh, One is this, when all of a sudden you just have a new desire, right? Maybe you saw something that somebody else had. Maybe you watched a commercial on TV. Maybe you saw an ad on your phone or something like that. And all of a sudden you want something. You have this new desire. At that moment, we have to pause, stop, and think. I would like to make a rational decision using the truth of God rather than simply following my craving in this moment. Um, Another situation is when you're thinking about making a big life change, right? Maybe you're bored. Maybe you don't feel like where you're at in life is getting you what you deserve. And so you're tempted to just blow the whole thing up and just make some big life decision. At that moment... You need to pause and remember that we are dangerously creatures of instinct, creatures of craving, and we need to sift that decision through the truth of God. And then here's another one. Um, When you get advice from the outside, and man, do I see this happen a lot in the church. You're getting advice from somebody. Listen, somebody is well-meaning. They care about you. They think they want what's best for you, and so... In their well-meaning advice, they say this to you. You know, I think you should just follow your heart. Man, what terrible advice. The desires of our heart, the cravings of our heart, the instincts of our heart will lead us to crash and burn. Peter's encouraging us. He's saying, hey, In these moments when you're tempted to follow just simply what you feel, tap into God's truth, live life rationally, and that rational living starts with acknowledging God. So, the way the world operates out of ignorance. Secondly, this morning, the way the world ends in destruction. The way the world ends in destruction. I want to start back at the beginning of verse 12 and read all all the way through the middle of 13. He says, But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. The way the world is presented as our opportunity at happiness, the way the world is presented as something that will be to our advantage. But what we see is that the world, the way the world is actually doubly destructive. This is what I mean. It's doubly destructive in that it both will ruin us now and 
it will lead to destruction later. Let's unpack both of those things. If you set out to bake a cake and you use the instructions for building a cabinet to try to bake your cake, your cake is going to end in destruction. If you take your iPhone and use it as a hammer, your iPhone is going to end in destruction. If you want to get from here to Spain, and so you hop in your car, and you go driving out across the Atlantic Ocean, your car is going to end in destruction. God made us to glorify and enjoy Him And so when we do everything else but glorify and enjoy Him, we will inevitably end in destruction. It should not surprise us when we live our lives contrary to God's design that we are constantly dissatisfied, that we have relationships that are constantly falling apart, that we have societal meltdown. It should not surprise us when we are trying to live and operate in a way that we were not designed to operate. But here's why the world is doubly destructive. Doubly destructive. Because not only will following that pattern lead to destruction now, but if I follow the pattern of the way of this world, I will break every law of God. I will be led to covet. I'll be led to lie. I'll be led to commit adultery. I'll be led to dishonor my father and mother. I will be led to have idols. I will be led to put some other God over the one true and living God. And the key word here in verse 13 is wage. Suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. But if I follow the pattern that runs contrary to God's design, I will break God's law. And what I earn, the wage, what I receive, what I am storing up for myself is the justice of God. Hell is, according to the Bible, real. Hell is, according to the Bible, hot. It is forever. And Sadly, if I follow the course of this world, I will lead, I will go towards a life that is only earning God's justice. Um, Hell is a tough concept, right? But I think intuitively we understand justice 
Somebody came with a baseball bat into my house and just smashed everything. I'd want something to be done about that. Somebody came into your business and took all the money out of your cash register and lit the place on fire. You would want something to be done about that. If somebody hurt one of your kids, you'd want something to be done about that. And so we should respect, humbly respect, that as we break God's law, that he'll do something about it. But guys, that's why here at Palmetto Shores we love the gospel. It's why it's our only hope. It's why I started this morning with Galatians 1, 3, and 4. That Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. Because if the way of the world is doubly destructive, then what we have in Jesus is doubly redemptive. Jesus both gives us a new way of life that no longer runs contrary to God's design and Jesus offers himself to stand in our place so that the justice, the wage that we've earned falls on him and not on us. Some people are interested in Christianity because they want a new way of life. Some people are interested in Christianity because they know that they need to be forgiven and they need to be made right with God. What I'm saying is that if you and I turn and come to Jesus and trust in Jesus and submit to Jesus, we get both. We get both a new way of life and we get both a right standing with God. And so let's turn this morning and trust in Jesus. Third today, maybe you're wondering, okay, the ignorance thing, I, I, you know, I kind of understand that. The, the fact that it leads to destruction, that, that makes sense. But what exactly is the substance of this way of the world? You know, for, for people like you and me who, who live in this world, there's no, we can't get out of it. For people like you and me who live in this world, what, what and how do we see the way of the world play out? And so third, the way of the world is conformed to selfishness. The way of the world is conformed to selfishness. We're going to pick up in the middle of verse 13 and take it to the end of verse 16. It says, They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So this is where we see what Peter's talking about, that one of the greatest dangers is that the way of the world would infiltrate the church. I think one of the big, biggest mistakes that you and I can make is to think that the way of the world is somehow confined to one group of people. No, we will find the way of the world, both among the rich and the poor. 
We will find the way of the world both among the educated and the uneducated. We will find the way of the world in men and women. We will find the way of the world in conservatives and liberals. We will find the way of the world in baby boomers, in Gen Z, X, Y, whatever, in millennials. We will find the way of the world in, in every group. And I think Peter wants us especially to see this, and you and I have to especially see this, that the way of the world is found in the religious and the irreligious. Why is that? Why is that? Well, let's look at some of the ways he describes these people. They revel in the daytime. They have eyes full of adultery. They have hearts trained for greed. What is the common denominator. Selfishness. It's about me. It's about what I get. It's about what I deserve. It's about me feeling good. And you will find that everywhere. None is exempt. I think there's a specific reason that Peter mentions Balaam here. Um, Balaam was a guy, you can read about him in Numbers, starting in uh, chapter 22. Balaam was a guy who was both religious and worldly. Balaam was a prophet. He spoke things that were true and He loved gain from wrongdoing. And that's why even his own donkey was more spiritually aware than he was. His own donkey was used by God to show him that just because he was this prophet, he could see things, he could say true things, did not mean he was walking in the will of God. He was a religious man who was going the way of the world. So you can't look at whether somebody's religious or not and tell whether they've gone the way of the world. You can't look at whether somebody comes to church or not and tell if they've gone the way of the world. You can't even look at whether someone's a preacher or not and tell whether they've gone the way of the world. So what is it? What is the litmus test? How do we know? Here's the only way. Does it put me at the center or does it put Jesus at the center? That's the only way. That is the only true litmus test. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.15 says this. It says, And he, talking about Jesus, died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Jesus died to set us free from a life conformed to selfishness. And that is why That is why the way of the world is so detrimental in the life of a church. The way of the world, as I'll show you in a second, the way of the world is anti-Christ. This way, this way that runs contrary to God's design is anti-Christ. And whatever is anti-Christ 
will be anti-church. As you guys know, I am not a big math and science guy, all right? So when I go science, it's very simple, all right? This is what I learned when I was a little, little kid. Oil and water do not mix. I can't tell you why. I know there's something about how they're made that they will not go together. No matter how close they get, they won't go. They won't match up. And the way of the world and the way of Jesus is exactly the same. They are polar opposites. They will not be meshed. They will not be put together and joined together in a relationship. Jesus did not revel in the daytime. Jesus did ministry in the daytime. Jesus did not look with lust after women. Jesus protected women and children. Jesus did not have a heart trained in greed that was always more, 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 more. Jesus was as generous as any human has ever been. The way of the world and the way of Jesus are total opposites. What that means is that churches flourish, churches flourish when we resist the way of the world and we embrace the way of Jesus. Churches flourish when we see it as part of our calling to make sacrifices in order to love one another. Churches flourish when you and I make one small decision at a time to put Jesus at the center rather than ourselves at the center. So after telling us what the way of the world is like, um, Peter jumps back into some more vivid images. And I think, uh, I think this is his real pastoral heart coming out. Uh, from, from really from here to the end, from 17 to the end. If you want to understand why does this all matter, this is his, his real heart. We'll start with verse 17 and see forth that the way of the world leads to emptiness. The way of the world leads to emptiness. He says, These are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. So there's two Im- images that he, Peter communicates here. The first is that of a waterless spring. right? What are springs made for? They're made to have water in them. But he's saying, when you and I run after the way of the world, it will only lead to brokenness and dryness. Um, if Let's say, for example, this afternoon, I decided to go out and do some yard work, and I just was out there a little too long, got a little overheated, and Allie came out with this nice, fresh Coca-Cola. Now, granted, it would look great, right? The water beads sort of rolling down the glass. It would look great. Even that first sip might even taste good. But if I start drinking Coca-Cola when I'm dehydrated, it is only going to make matters worse. And what Peter's trying to tell us today is that the way of the world is going to offer us things to fulfill and to satisfy and to meet the, the quench of the thirst that we have. But what it is going to offer is only going to make us drier and drier and drier and thirstier. Guys, we were made for communion with God. Our souls were made for Him. And so nothing else will meet that desire other than being filled with Him. Then he gives this second image. It's this picture of mist driven by a storm. And I think what he's trying to communicate with this is it's similar, but it's slightly different. 
that when you and I aren't filled with God, when we're not filled with the substance that we were made for, then we are easily tossed back and forth when the storms of life come. We have no solid roots. We have no stability. We are just tossed around. The way of the world will fill us, but it only fills us with air. The air of entertainment, the air of pleasure, the air of possessions. The world will fill and fill and fill and fill, and yet we will be no more satisfied. It's almost like Peter has in mind the opposite of what Jesus said in John 4.14. When Jesus said this to a broken woman, a discontent woman, a woman whose life was a wreck, a woman who kept thinking that her satisfaction was in the next relationship. Jesus said, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The fact that we say that Jesus is the only way, right? Jesus is the only way to salvation. It has nothing to do with us being exclusive for the sake of being exclusive. Right? Us forcing the issue and saying that you must, you must, you must trust in Jesus. It isn't because we're trying to keep people out. It's because Jesus is the only one who could do for us what we needed a Savior to do, and Jesus is the only one who can actually satisfy our hearts. If we offered anything else, it would simply be Coke to dehydration. It would simply be pouring the wrong substance into the dissatisfied heart. And so no, Jesus only, Jesus alone is not about keeping people out. Jesus alone is that He's the only thing that will do it. He's the only one who could die and rise, and He's the only one who can satisfy our hearts. So we've seen that the way of the world is empty, but now we need to see how it keeps us empty. And so fifth, the way of the world thrives on deception. The way of the world thrives on deception. Verses 18 and 19 continue. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Peter wants us to know that the way of the world isn't waiting on us to come and find it. The way of the world is after us. The way of the world is pursuing us. And the deception strategy of the world, he gives a couple components of it. One component is that it is loud. It's in our face. It's non-ignorable. As long as you and I are on this side of the grave, we will have to deal with the world. It will be heard. It will be seen. And that's one of its strategies. Um, another co- component of the wor- world's deception strategy is that it has the appearance of attraction. Verse 18, it says that they entice Twice in this passage, we see the word entice. It tells us that we're being offered something that we think will give us an 
advantage. Uh, the last time Allie and I went car shopping a few years ago, we had a little family meeting, right? Just the two of us, family meeting. And we said, this is our budget. We're not going higher than this number. And then we went out to the car lot, started walking around. Everything's so shiny. Everything's so nice. Everything in our price range has a lot of miles. There's Bluetooth, and there's GPS, and there's whatever else. Air conditioning. Ooh. And you start, that, that budget number just starts going, you know, starts creeping up. Starts creeping up. Starts creeping up. And you, you have to slap yourself. No, 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 no. We said, we said, this was it. This was, this was it. The way of the world is enticing. It's consuming. It, it, it seems to offer you something that you, you, you'll start to believe you need. You start to believe, though this is essential to life. And slowly but surely, it wraps its arms around you. Additionally, and I think this is why the allurements, why the enticements are so strong, is that the way the world actually taps into something within us. Notice how Peter says, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh. This means that the reason that the way the world is so attractive to us It's because there actually is something in us that agrees with it. That, here's a shocker, that you and I actually want to do the selfish thing. Um, I'm convinced, absolutely convinced, that fried food is bad for me. I'm pretty sure that every French fry I eat knocks a day off of my life. Every fried piece of chicken I eat knocks a week off my life, right? I'm convinced. I know it. I know it's bad for me, and yet I still eat it. I crave it. I long for it. I know. I know. (laughs) I know it's killing me, and guys, this is true. This is true whether you are a Christian or not. From now till the day you die, there will be a part of you that will long for what is bad for you. Paul says it this way in Galatians 5, 16 and 17. He's talking to Christians. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Those desires of the flesh that are being tempted and enticed and allured. Walk by the Spirit, you will not Gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So from now to the day you die, the reason that the way of the world will be so enticing is because it has a friend that lives inside of you. And that's why we must learn to walk in the Spirit. And then in verse 19, Peter tells us, I think, what is probably the most important part, the most alluring part of the deception strategy, deception strategy of the world. And it is that it promises freedom. He says, they promise them freedom, 
but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. The world thrives on deception. And one of its greatest lies is it offers freedom. And those of us who live in the United States of America are probably more susceptible to that temptation than anyone else on the planet. Because our collective idol that we have crafted, if you were to see the name of that idol, his name would be Freedom. And we are so geared, so triggered (laughs) to do anything to protect freedom. And so we do all sorts of ridiculous, stupid things. We get tricked, duped, hijacked because we think we're running after something that we have to have. And yet, the people who are inviting us to this freedom, they're not even free. Freedom is only found in Jesus. It's only found in Jesus because it is when we come up under the lordship of Jesus is when our life comes underneath His, that for the first time ever, we're actually living according to God's design, rather than contrary to God's design. And that life, the life submitted to the Lord, following the way of the Lord, that is freedom. Now, there's something I want to say before I move on uh, from the deception of the world. We aren't doing ourselves any favors by how much media we consume. Listen, I am not anti-media. I have an iPhone. I have television. Two of them, okay? I occasionally get on Facebook. But we are not doing ourselves any favors with the amount of media consumption that we take in every day. Right? It is foolish. It is foolish to think that for five, six, seven hours a day, We can hear lie after lie after lie after lie and then expect that we're going to operate out of the truth. It is foolish to think that we're going to watch and listen and observe news and entertainment and feeds that portray a vision of life that is not real and then think that we're going to still be able to walk according to God's way. It is foolish. It's like if you and I were to say, all right, I'm going on a diet. I just realized there's a lot of food stuff in this sermon. See, I'm going on a diet, and I'm really serious this time. This is the, this is the one. I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going for it this time. But then you decided to go and spend five and a half hours a day in an ice cream shop. You know, just staring through the glass, drooling, wafting the waffle cone, you know, smell, drooling as you watch other people eat their ice cream thinking, you know, I'm not going to cave. I'm just, I'm just watching. Right? That's what we do, guys. We plaster the way of the world in front of our face all day long. And then we're surprised that we have a hard time fighting temptation. We're surprised that we have a hard time walking in the way of Jesus. So I'm not anti-media. I'm just saying, I think we need to wake up. You know, maybe we need a talking donkey to tell us, you're going in the wrong direction. If you missed the earlier part of the talking, I didn't come up with the talking donkey thing. That was 
That's in the text. All right. So if you were, I didn't make that up. All right. Uh, sixth. And this is, uh, this is sobering. This is sobering. This is, um, I think, two of the more serious verses in all the Bible. Um, hard, to, hard to even think about. Hard to talk about. Six, the way the world grips with power. The way the world grips with power. I'm going to read verses 20 and 21. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness, than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. So lest we under, underestimate the power, the allure of this world, Peter wants us to see there have been people who seemed to follow Jesus. Maybe they were like these people in Mark chapter 4 who sprang up as a, as a quick root, but then the sun came out and scorched. Maybe there are people who grew up in the church, heard about the Lord, heard about the gospel, but then turn away from Jesus. And he wants us to feel the sobering reality that the power of the world will and has destroyed many, 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 many lives. This is kind of how I see Really, this whole passage, you know, if I kind of, if I kind of understand how Peter's approaching this, you know, it kind of feels like a father who, out of love for his kids, doesn't want them to play in the street. You know, this father, he knows that the kids are, they're, they're just too little to understand the power of a vehicle. They're too little to understand just how detrimental it could be. And so he gets down on a knee and says, kids, you know, I, it's not that I don't want you to enjoy life. It's that this is dangerous. You know, there have been other kids who played in the street and they got hurt. And I don't want that for you. I don't want you to have to experience what others have experienced with the pain and so this loving father warns the kids. And I just hear Peter, it's like he's getting to the end of his life, and he's this loving father and just saying, guys, don't play with the world. Don't mess around with this pattern that runs contrary to God's design. Don't think that you can handle it, that you're mature enough, because its power will overtake you. And what we see in the Bible, is that the way of the world is so powerful that literally the only way, the only way to overcome is if God actually changes our nature and takes up residence inside of us. This is 1 John uh, 5. The Apostle John says this in 1 John 5, 4 and 5. He says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? 
So literally, the, the only way, the only way not to be tanked by this is if God himself changes our nature and fixes our eyes on his son Jesus so that we'll have life in his name. We cannot mess around. We cannot play around. We cannot flirt with something that has destroyed so many. And then this passage ends with these two more vivid images. And so seventh and finally this morning, the way of the world is produced by foolishness. The way of the world is produced by foolishness. I love these images. Uh, sometimes it's nice to kind of end on a high note. Today we're just ending on a disgusting note. In verse 22, he ends the chapter saying, What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Now, is that disgusting or what? Peter is saying he, he wants us to see how foolish and how gross and how disgusting the way of the world is. And so he uses these two pictures. The first is that of a dog going back, returning to its own throw up and beginning to eat it again. And he's saying, if you go back, if you go back to the things that Jesus has set you free from, it is just like a dog going back and eating its own vomit. I mean, just think about it for a second. Like, I just want you to visually imagine a dog comes up beside you right now, throws up on the floor, 10 minutes goes by, dog comes back, starts to eat the vomit. Peter's saying, that is how you ought to view going the way of the world. Like, it ought to make you want to gag to think about it. And then this other image of the sow who <laughs> seems to only get clean just so that getting dirty again will be that much more fun. Right? He's saying, guys, don't be foolish. Don't you see how sad this is? Don't you see that if Jesus died to save us from these things, and they, there's no way they can be good for us. So Jesus, Paul says in Galatians 1, 3 and 4, Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. And what that means is it means two things. One, it means this. It means that there's nothing in the way of the world. There's nothing in the way of the world that will lead you to life. The way of the world will only lead you to death, destruction, and dissatisfaction. But this is also what it means. It also means that you and I have an amazing opportunity. That if Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, it means that if we trust him, if we follow him, then he rescues us from this pattern of life that runs contrary to God's design. And this is what's cool. Part of the power, part of the allure of the way of this world is that there, there are so many that are going that way. Right? It's hard when you've got a big, massive group of people that are moving in one direction. It's hard to imagine life another way. And so here's the opportunity that we have at Palmetto Shores. We have the opportunity to join together, to band together as people who've placed our faith in Jesus, who said we're following him who said, we're going to stumble, but we're going to keep our eyes on him. Even as we struggle, even as we stumble, our eyes are on him. And then we collectively get to join together to create a, an alternative, a counterculture to the way of the world. That as, and this is going to happen, as people absolutely crash and burn following their selfishness, that this place would be a place that people could come and find rest, find life, see 
that there is life in Jesus, that there is a better way in Jesus, that as our society collapses around us and people become disillusioned with the empty promises of freedom, and this is going to happen, then you and I, as a body, a wellspring of living water in Jesus, would have grace and mercy and peace and rest to offer people who come in dry and empty and broken. That's the opportunity that we have. It's the calling that we have. The world offers nothing but death. And in Jesus, we find life. Let's pray. Lord, we've seen that really we are hopeless in ourselves. That because we have the flesh in us, God, there's this strong pull in us towards what is bad for us. And so, Lord, we just ask for rescue today. We ask that. God, I ask that there would be none in this room that verses 20 and 21 is their story, that there would be none in this room that turn back, there would be none in this room who come short of genuine, real, true faith in Jesus. God, fill us with your presence. Fill us with good things. Fill us with the true, the good, and the beautiful so that more and more and more we're less enticed, less enamored, less interested in those things which steal and kill and destroy. God, work in us by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.